You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, Pastor Josh Brady continues in Romans chapter 8 by picking up at verse 18, where we left off last week. As we listen, it's our prayer that God would use His Word to teach us and make us more like Him. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Great. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Romans chapter 8 will be our text for today. Uh, And as you are turning there, I want to remind you of something really big coming up in the life of our church, particularly our student ministry that is going to kick off this coming weekend. It is our Together Weekend. Uh, Some of you growing up, you will know that as Disciple Now. Uh, And here's what you need to know. It is going to be unbelievable this year, as it always is. Um, But you really need to be proactive in this sense. Um, We are having record sign-up as it stands, and tonight... At 11.59.59, registration closes. Uh, and, and if you have not registered your middle schooler or high schooler for this incredible weekend, you need to do so today, okay? So if you want to know how to do that, broadmoor.org will allow you to do that. It's all online. We'd love for you to sign up, but please don't miss that opportunity. Uh, It is going to be absolutely incredible joining together with other churches in our area for corporate worship uh, and then opportunities for small group Bible study where we know that God changes hearts. And so if you have a middle schooler or a high school student that you know wants to be a part of this weekend, Today is the last day. At midnight tonight, registration will close. Uh, And you say, well, maybe I could get in. We are already busting at the seams for host homes for this thing. And so we just really need uh, all the registrations to be in by midnight tonight so we can plan accordingly for the rest of the week. That being said, I would love for us to jump into this incredible word today, okay? So as you are turning to Romans chapter 8, if you were here last week or if you've been following along with us, you, you know that this entire book is incredible. And in all of the totality of this book that we have studied so far, there have been some incredible moments. There have been some hard truths, and there have been some incredibly gracious truths that that have been shared from from the same letter. And then then last week, we got into chapter 8, which is personally my favorite chapter in all of the Bible. Because we have moments, like, like in, in verse 1 of chapter, chapter 8, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And there is just something about that soaring statement that the Apostle Paul makes that sets my heart at ease. And then we, we talked a little bit more. We went through the first 17 verses last week, and, and there was some tension about what, what's the, the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And, and we, we ended with, with this last verse. And I don't know if you found some, some great comfort, and, and maybe, maybe just maybe, because we covered this in our podcast this week, some unsettling, as it were, to the very last couple of words, okay? So, so just to recap, we're, we're going to start today in verse 18, but I'm going to go back and reread 17, uh, 16 and 17. Here's, here's Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That's good news. That is soaringly awesome news to hear that that not only by God's grace are we adopted in as sons of God, but we are are now counted as children of God. But if that weren't enough, we are are heirs of God. And if that weren't enough, we are co-heirs with Christ. Good news. But it didn't end there. Here's, Here's the remaining part of verse 17. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. 
Now, a lot of times we like the good news. We, well, not a lot of times, all the time we like the good news. But when it comes to moments like this, when it says things like provided we or in order that, those turn into conditional statements. Meaning if we are going to receive this good news and claim it as our own and live in its reality, then we also must live in this conditional reality as well. And so we are thankful for Romans 8 verse 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're thankful for the truth of God's word, that we are adopted into the family of God, provided we suffer with him. I don't think anybody signed up to come up Sunday morning and say, man, I really hope Josh tells me how to suffer well because I'm pumped about it. But that's where we are today. And so with that being said, I just want us to, to wrestle with this conditional statement. It says, provided if we suffer with Christ in order that, that we may be co-heirs with Christ. Is suffering a part of the Christian process? Should that be something not only the Christian has, but, but almost uses as a proof that we belong to God? Yes. Not only is it a part of that process, it is the, the Christian suffering, and that is different. We've talked about this before. That is different than you stubbing your toe in the middle of the night. That is not proof that you belong to God. But it is this idea that we are not home yet. It is this idea that we serve a king that is not of this world. And our heart longs to be with him more than it longs to be in this place. And we're going to talk about that more in a second. But I don't want you to get upset when you hear that suffering is a part of the package deal. It is conditional that if we are going to be one with Christ, we are going to be one with Christ in glory, and we will be with one with Christ in his sufferings today. But Paul is going to give us incredible perspective on what that suffering is and how we are to understand it. So if you would, Romans 8 verse 18 is where we kick off today. Here's God's word. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So our suffering in perspective, our suffering now is not worth compared to the glory that's coming. All right, this statement, and I know a lot of times we can hear this, this statement is not to take away from the pain and the anguish that you have experienced or are experiencing today. No doubt everybody in this room has experienced some form of suffering in their life. Some of you still carry the visceral scars today because of that suffering. When I use the word suffering, tears come to your eyes because the pain is still so real right now. Paul is not saying, stop crying, dry up those tears, get on with your life. That is not at all what he is saying. What he is saying is, however deep the pain, God's glory is deeper. However big the sadness is in your life, God's glory is, is, is bigger However overwhelming the discomfort that you feel on this side of eternity and the sufferings that you have, the glory that is coming is even more overwhelming. What he says is, if you were to take the suffering that you have, as big as it may feel today, and you were to put it on a scale, and you take it, and for a lot of us, that suffering is uncalculatable. 
There's, there's no way we could even fathom a way to bundle it up, to even put it on a scale because it seems to run the course of the entirety of our life and we don't know what to do it. But what Paul would say is if you could take it and make it one and set it on a scale and for us, it would feel like that scale in a heartbeat would flip straight down because the sufferings are so heavy. Paul says the glory that is to come in Christ outweighs that suffering by so much. And that's the hope that we have in the right now and the not yet. Right now it hurts, but soon to be the hurt goes away. Right now the pain is deep, but soon to be we will understand that grace goes deeper still. And so when you hear Romans 8 verse 18, do not hear Paul speaking little of the pain that you experience. Hear him speaking a lot of the glory that you're going to experience. And so as we come to this today, it changes, it should change our perspective on this life. Later on, he is going to say it this way, um, these momentary afflictions. And again, that is not to belittle what we are going through. But in comparison, one day those things will seem like a distant bad memory. There's a better day coming. And we truly can't fully wrap our minds around how incredible that day will be. But we're not there yet. So what do we do today, knowing that our hearts are set on something better that will soon come, but that something isn't here today? The glory we know is set before us. We know that we were heading there. We know that Christ holds it, holds it fast for us. We know that it is guaranteed. But what we have today is pain and tears. What do we do with that reality? Circling back to where we started today, that is why it is paramount for us to understand how the Christian is to suffer well. Because I know there will be people who will try to tell you, Christian, you have nothing to be sad about. If you were born again in Christ Jesus, you, you have no reason to cry anymore, for life is good and you're going to be with God in heaven. If I could tell you a different way, and I believe the Apostle Paul would tell you a different way, if you are a born again person in Jesus Christ, there's much to be sad about. Here's why. Because your heart now longs for a home that's not this place. Your eyes are set on someone that is, that, is, that is not of this world. Your heart is now beginning to desire more and more every day what is soon to be and not what is here and now. And so as the Christian longs and matures for Christ... There is going to be a holy discontentment that grows more and more every day. And so again, this isn't a sadness where we are Eeyore, nobody loves me, everybody hates me. But this is, man, I am longing for a new home and this ain't it. So this place is temporary and we live accordingly. How do we suffer well in the kingdom now as we move to the kingdom that is to come? What does that suffering look like? Well, Paul would even say it goes much more than just us individually. Look at verse 19. He says, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. So, so everything that God created, everything, is eagerly awaiting. All of nature is eagerly awaiting for everything to be made right again. The word picture here is as, if, is as if nature is standing on its tiptoes with its eyes fixed on heaven, waiting for God to fully restore everything. It's like, just God, come on, please, today, let today be the day. 
Why? Because creation is suffering. Well, Josh, what do you mean creation is suffering? Look at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, but not willingly, because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pangs of childbirth until now. So Paul is really using two illustrations to help us understand the weight of what's going on around us. We, we truly have this idea if, if creation is coming alive, it is longing for the Father to come back and make it right again because even in creation we are fallen. And he uses the illustration of a woman soon to give birth. And, and it's this idea that, that a woman is going through excruciating pain one like she's never experienced before a day in her life, but soon that pain is going to give way to a beautiful baby that sits. And all that pain will be a distant memory, even in a moment. And so, so here, Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. And one of the curses that's passed down is, is one that is extended to creation. Creation, pre-Genesis 3, is supposed to be good, peaceful, and fruitful. Now, post-Genesis 3, post-the-fall, now it's filled with chaos and unrest and struggle. We know things here that way. Um, sometimes we, we just get so used to it, we forget that it's creation crying out and groaning for something better. But nobody here likes the Mississippi heat. Not a soul. And if you are, you lying in the church house and we need to talk to you. And then we're like, I would rather the cold weather. And then when it drops below 52, we're like, we can't handle it. Close the schools. <laughs> and I would be one of the first to say, amen, I'm sitting by the fireplace. There's heat, there's cold. There's hurricanes, there's tornadoes, there's famine, there's sickness, and there's floods. No doubt there's more. But I want you to understand in the beginning, these things were not so. This is the chaos that comes from the fall. It doesn't just affect your life. It doesn't just affect your marriage. It doesn't just affect the way that you, you interact with your kids or your coworkers. This affects every fiber of everything that we see this side of eternity. All of creation is groaning, crying out for relief for God to come back and make it right. But creation surely isn't the only part of the world that is suffering in this fallen state. We, as Christ followers... I believe, suffer the most. Here's what Paul says about that, verse 23. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait, wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Again, I've heard it said, and I think it's by well-meaning people, and maybe, maybe this has been you from time to time, that if you're a follower of Christ, you have nothing to be sad about. Paul would absolutely disagree with that. He would say, because we now understand that, that everything has been touched, distorted, and cursed by sin. That everything that we love is now marred. 
we could probably quickly say that the bad things surely are affected by the fall. But if we had enough time and you did enough soul searching, I bet you would agree that even the best things in your life, the best things in your life have been so painfully marked by sin that it's hard to stomach sometimes. Here's what I mean. Think about someone who is in great health, someone you love, and then all of a sudden there's a diagnosis of sickness in a direction that is going to lead them to death. Think about somebody that you trust, somebody that you think so highly of, and you come to find out that they are a person who lies and a person that's cheated. Maybe it's something that that wasn't even something that they did But maybe it was you woke up one day and every day was just like this one. It was a good day. The the sun was shining. The birds were chirping. And then all of a sudden you get a phone call and said there's been an accident. Maybe it was because of the poor choice of somebody else that has forever affected your life. No doubt there are many more to be sure, but the point is simply this. Everyone can sense the brokenness in themselves and around them, but Christians especially feel this weight. Here's the struggle. In this world, the longer you spend with Christ, the more you are going to realize this place is not our home. Everything about this place is falling apart. And it doesn't matter how nice we try to make it. It is all falling apart. Guys, we are looking for a home that's not here. So that's what Paul is saying. Look, look, we have hope. There's no condemnation for us, but we are living in a fallen state, and we need to understand that it is going to be a long and hard road. With heaven in view, the hope would be this, that every day we become more and more ready to go home to be with our Father in heaven. All of creation, including us, we are begging for everything to be made right, right now. So the question now becomes... Where is the hope in all of this suffering? Thank you, God, for future hope. Thank you, God, that one day all of these things are going to be made right. But what do we do today? How do we deal in the pain? How do we deal in the tears? Who's going to help us? Look at verse 26. He says, and likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And we, uh, and he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So what is our confidence in this daily affliction? When we don't even know how to pray? We don't know what to pray for? It's God the Holy Spirit praying on behalf of us to God the Father. Who better to pray God's will for us than God himself? And if if we needed icing on the cake for this, we'll get more into this next week. But Romans 8.34 will go on to say this. So who's to condemn us? 
Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, he's the one who was raised. And now who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. We have God the Father who sovereignly watches over us. We have God the Holy Spirit who resides in us. Who when we don't even have words to say because our lives are so broken and our hearts in so many pieces that he groans for us in the will of the Father to the Father. He prays on our behalf. And if that weren't enough, we have God the Son, Jesus Christ, who sits at the Father's right hand in glory, in power, interceding on our behalf, speaking a better word over our life. That's good news. That's what we have now. And you may say, Josh, that is awesome. What about these tears? What about this heartache? What about the pain that I feel when I think about what has happened or the pain that I feel when I think about that loved one who should be sitting right next to me this morning but is not? What do I do with that? Here's what I'm telling you. I don't have something I can give you to take that pain away. And matter of fact, I think according to God's word, God is doing something through that pain in you. I don't believe at all that God caused evil in your life. That is not at all the truth. But I do believe that God uses all things for good. According to those who love him. We're going to get into that next week. So what do you do now? Well, I think if you have the mindset that Christians aren't to suffer, you're going to be really disappointed with the remainder of your life. But if we have the right understanding, the, the proper understanding, that as a Christian, we are probably going to be the ones who suffer most. And that shouldn't be something that's sad to you for what the suffering is going to do. What Paul is going to say, it is something that refines us and brings hope to our body. It is something that ties us to the Savior. If we suffer with him, we will be raised with him. That is the good news and the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. So if you find yourself suffering daily on this side of eternity, longing for a home that is not this place, you are in a good spot. It may not be comfortable. But Jesus told you it wasn't going to be comfortable. In this life, you will have trouble. But take heart. Why? Because the days are going to get better. Take heart because bad things won't happen to you? No. Take heart. Why? Because Jesus said, I've overcome the world. Our hope is found in Christ alone and no one else. That is what our hope is set upon. So with that being true, we take Paul's words to our heart. Going back to verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Church, suffering is real. It's awful. It's painful. It's not supposed to be this way. And Paul is not trying to make a bad situation a little more bearable. Paul is reminding us of the promise that is fixed in heaven. That whatever we face here, pain, hurt, loss, and suffering, there is a day coming. There is a glory coming that will overwhelm everything that we've experienced so far in this fallen state. Josh, what's that day going to be like? I don't fully know. But I do have an idea. If you have your Bibles, open to Revelation 21. The worship team's going to come back out, and we're going to move into a time of, of Lord's Supper here in just a moment. But Revelation 21 is probably one of the most hope-filled chapters 
in the entire Bible, for it gives us a glimpse into what this fallen state will give way to. And all the pain and all the tears and all the struggle and all the suffering that we have on this side, what happens? Revelation 21, verses 1 through 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is John. John John received the revelation and he wrote it down. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Then I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Listen to this. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Church, that's what's coming for us. He says this, and and, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Listen listen to what he says. Write this down. He he looks over at John and says, don't miss this because everybody who's going to read it needs to know this to take what you've just said to heart. Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Christ is coming back, church, and it's all going to be made right. That is the hope we have to come. It's Christ that we long for. It's Christ that we wait for. It will be Christ that we celebrate when the clouds roll back and the trump resounds. but it's also Christ that we cling to while we wait till that day. And that brings us to our Lord's Supper this morning. Hopefully when you walked in, you received Lord's Supper elements that look like this. If you were sitting in your seat and you say, oh no, I did not bring Lord's Supper elements in. I didn't grab them. If you would just raise your hands. We have deacons who are set all over the sanctuary this morning and they're gonna come and bring you some Lord's Supper elements. We have some just right down front here, coach. Gentlemen, right down front, right here. Thank you. Just raise your hand high. I don't want you to miss an opportunity. Great. Back up to the top left, if we did none. Pastor Richard, if you would, top, up top. Thank you. Thank you. A few more that are being passed out. They're on their way. I love the Lord's Supper because it is a beautiful reminder of what we are to cling to now. Now, when this happens, our reading today comes from Luke chapter 22. And and Jesus is having Passover. He's alive with his disciples. And they have no clue what stands ahead of them, the life that they are soon to live. So the Lord gets them ready. And it's strange because he doesn't say, okay, guys, it's going to get really hard. 
So I need you to take these three equipping classes and I need you to get certified in this thing. Instead, he tells them, I want you to understand who I am. I want you to understand that the one that I'm sending you is in the Holy Spirit. And I want you to wait. And when you receive the power that comes from me, you are going to be my witnesses to the world. Just starting in Jerusalem where they would be, then out to Judea, Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. You are going to turn the world upside down. And it won't be by your knowledge or might. It'll be through the power and the work of God through the Son and the Holy Spirit. And to show them what that would look like, he took bread. So if you have your elements, if you would take the portion off and remove the piece of bread. This is what he says. Luke twenty-two nineteen. 19. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. Jesus, we remember you. In our pain and our suffering, we remember you. In our tears, in our aching, in our groaning, we remember you. In our peace that we sit in, we remember you. In the call in our life to forge ahead, in your strength and in the power of the Spirit, we remember you. And we thank you for what you've done and what you do every day. We love you, Jesus. If you would take the other side of the Lord's Supper element, if you would peel that back, please be careful in this. I don't want it to spill on you. You don't have to take it entirely off. Luke 22, verse 20 says this. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink. Father, we thank you for the new covenant that Christ made for us with you. For all the other covenants we were not able to keep on our own. Every time we failed, every time we failed, Christ comes and stands in our stead and makes a covenant with you that is forever fulfilled. So Lord, even as I drink this cup this morning and I taste the sweetness on my tongue, I am so thankful for my Savior. Thank you for his broken body. Thank you for his poured out blood. Thank you that the covenant is sure. And our confidence is in him. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.